Hello, everybody. I welcome you all around the world for our annual report 2019. And today with me is our interim's CFO, Naya. At first to the key highlights. We had the highest revenue in six years. We had quite an increased service order intake, a lower capital order intake, an increased cash flow with a higher EBITDA but unsatisfactory margin. We have a good demand for service, both in cement as well as in mining, but we see at the same time continued customer hesitation on large capital investments. If we then look into the guidance for 2020, we guide on revenue 18.5 to 20.5 billion DKK with an EBITDA margin 8 to 9% and we propose a dividend of 8 kroner per share. Let us come at first to the guidance. We realized on the revenue 20.6 billion DKK, which was at the upper range of the revised guidance, which was 20 to 21. We guide for 2020 18.5 to 20.5. That takes into calculation the lack of larger capital orders in the second half of 2019, despite that we got quite a package of large orders in the value of 2 billion DKK announced last week. If it comes to the EBITDA margin, we had for the year 2019 realized an 8.1% and we guide 8 to 9% in the guidance. The reason for doing that lies on one side, the cost pressure on the mining capital part, our business improvement activities, as well as the lack of a bigger capital order intake in the second half of the year, which will create a lower revenue in 2020. On the positive note, we will have definitely a higher share of service in the revenue and with that, of course, an impact on the EBITDA. Important to, to say here is, no matter that it is more or less each year like that, and we saw it very much in the year 2019, we have generally a slow start in the year if it comes to the revenue, then a stronger quarter two, a weaker quarter three, and normally a very strong quarter four, which was not only for the year from a revenue point of view, the, high, the, the biggest year, the highest year in revenue. It was actually the quarter was um, the strongest in six years. If we then come to the business improvement, the business improvement activities, what we announced last year are on track. We have an EBITDA improvement focus of 100 million with a run rate at the end of this year of 100 million. The cost will be 150 million. We realized in the quarter four, 2019, 40 million, which means 110 million are to come. We announced and we showed quite openly the workforce adjustment, what we did up to the end uh, or in the first quarter and actually end of last year too. And that is a reduction of around 500 employees. The reason uh, for that is, of course, a combination with the general business improvement program in mining, as well as the situation with the lack of uh, orders in the second half of 2019. The business improvement implementation cost effect in the quarter one is estimated to 40 to 50 million. All these business improvement costs are included in the financial guidance for 2020. Now to the market outlook. Let me start with the commonality between the mining and the cement industry. 
aftermarket in both industries is on a good level and shows a good momentum. Customers ask with more or less everything what they demand on so-called sustainable productivity improvement. Driven, of course, by digitalization and new products, by new innovation. It is very important to mention here that the cost level in the commodities and mining as well as to a big extent in the cement industry is actually going up when we don't see the same on um, the top level for the commodities as well as or the commodity prices as well as the cement prices realized. That of course puts pressure on our customers to do more to get their cost down. And that is what we can do with offering sustainable productivity enhancement. If we then look into the mining specific, we have an ongoing hesitation on large capital investments. Yes, we got two large orders announced last week. And when we look into the pipeline and what we see as an activity level, the demand actually is there and on a healthy level, but it doesn't come to the final step to make the order intake. At the same time, a lot of demand what we get is sustainability related, especially with tailings management and with any activity which enables our customer to attain and to keep the license to operate. License to operate was more or less throughout the whole last year and at the beginning of this year in the mining industry risk number one. If we then look into the cement industry, it is actually an unchanged activity level where we can say that the market for big um, CapEx investments, new capacity, is relatively low, but that now for quite a while. When we look into that what is demanded from the cement customers, yes, it has to do a lot with sustainability, but predominantly with CO2 reduction. The announcement of Germany to go up to 57 euro per ton CO2 as a tax, of course, goes like a big information around the world. If we then look into the pipeline for small or mid-sized opportunities, especially with upgrades and retrofits, that market is developing positively in the right direction. Now to the capital order or to the uh, order intake. What you clearly can see on the left side, divided by mining and cement, uh, quarter on quarter, you see that our service business in mining in the quarter four grew 6%, when the capital business actually dropped 19%. Of course, uh, large capital orders as last week are very lumpy in the timing too. Um, out of that, when you look into the service, you can see that the service order intake in the quarter four Seasonal is a little bit lower than we had it in quarter three. That is not uh, unusual in our kind of business. Now to the cement part. You see 11% growth in order intake for cement service. This is the highest service order intake in cement and has a fantastic performance and a proof of a good organizational structure, what we implemented in 2018. The capital part is 14% down and reflects that what I said before in the total cement industry with the subdued situation on larger capital deals. If you look to the right side, you see from quarter four 2017 on quarter by quarter, the development of the order intake. When you look into it, 
Of course, it is not that nice picture when you see that three quarters in a row, the revenue is higher or slightly higher than actually the order intake. But with the change or with the big announcement what we had last week, the whole picture looks, of course, different on one side. Second, you see that our service share is actually coming up quite nicely, which is quite positive for us. If we then look into the revenue split, on the left side, you see the split between mining and cement. We had 59% of our business in quarter four from mining with a 9.1% EBITDA margin. Despite the fact, uh, yeah, or saying it like that, the 9.1% is, of course, not satisfactory for us in that industry. On the opposite side, we have 41% cement business with an EBITDA margin of 6.6. We can say that the year 2019 cement did, our cement colleagues, our cement part, did that what we announced already in 18 to be very selective on orders regarding profitability and bringing the profitability up. Our colleagues really did a good job here. If we then look into the capital service, you see that we had the same share of capital versus uh, service in quarter 419 as we had it in quarter 418, 52 to 48%. If we then Go further, then I would like to give to Naya, our interim CFO, with the financial performance. Thank you, Thomas. I would like to present the key highlights of our financial performance for 2019 for you. I will focus on the full-year performance on the first couple of slides and then take you through the Q4 results afterwards. When you look at the key numbers of our uh, financial performance for 2019, you will see an order intake decline of 10% compared to last year which was caused by the low level of large capital orders. As Thomas also mentioned at the guidance slide, this will impact the capital revenue for 2020, both in mining and cement, but particularly in cement. On the other hand, the service order intake increased 3% compared to 2018, which will support the mix in 20, the, service, uh, the business mix in 2020. Looking at revenue, you would see that revenue was up 10% compared to 2018, especially driven by mining, but salmon grew as well. With a revenue of 20.6 billion, we ended at the higher end of the initial guidance for 2019. Gross margin was down 1.5 percentage points compared to last year. EBITDA margin was 8.1% compared to the 8.5% in 2018. Taxes for the year increased 125 billion compared to 2018. This should be seen in the context of an unusually low effective tax rate in 2018. Profit for the group increased 22% to 776 million. Return on capital employed ended at 10.9%, almost at the same level as last year. Looking into the full year cash flow for the continued business, you will see a higher EBITDA of more than 2 billion, which is a 9% increase compared to 2018. The cash outflow from the change in provision was roughly half of what we saw in 2018 and included a tax uh, settlement of a tax claim uh, paid in Q2 2019. The development in networking capital resulted in a cash outflow of 319 million. 
which I will explain later on. For the full year 2019, the cash flow from our operating activities in the continued business increased to more than 1.1 billion compared to the 953 million we had in 2018. On the right-hand side, you will see the cash flow details from the entire group, which mean continued activities plus discontinued activities. CFFO for the entire group improved by more than half a billion kroner compared to 2018. We spent around 300 million kroner on the IMP automation group, and excluding this acquisition, investments were slightly below 2018 and very close to the level of depreciations for the year. The free cash flow for the group, excluding the acquisition, was 574 million compared to the minus 15 million in 2018. Clear positive development here. If we go deeper into the performance in Q4, you will notice a very high quarterly revenue. The service revenue in mining was up 14%, capital revenue was up 12%. For salmon, the service revenue was up 1%, and a high activity level in the quarter meant a 10% higher uh, capital revenue for salmon in Q4 2019. On the right-hand side, you will... You will, you will see the last nine quarters revenue and for the group, where you can see the Q4 stands out as the highest uh, for the whole period with a 10% increase compared to Q4 2018. The order intake line marked with wit showed that the quarter's order intake is lower than the revenue in the quarter. Moving on to gross profit, we see a 1% increase in gross profit compared to Q4 2018, but the gross profit margin was, was down by 2.1 percentage points compared to the same quarter last year. The main reason for the margin decline was less profitable projects in mining and a generally higher level of project revenue in the quarter. The gross margin in cement improved as a result of execution of projects with higher margin and a selective approach to large orders. The development in our SGNA cost underpins our very strong cost management focus, and the SGNA ratio improved in the fourth quarter. Of course, compared with a higher revenue impact from IFF 16 and also internal efficiencies. At the same time, also lower incentive payments improved the, the ratio. The SGNA ratio for, for, um, for the quarter is 12.14%, adjusted for FS16, 12.7%, compared to the ratio we had in Q4 2018 of 13.4%. The EBITA margin for the quarter was 8.1%, which was a 1.3 percentage point decline compared to 2018. This is a result of the lower gross margin, as I just previously explained. At the right-hand side of this slide, you can see the EBITDA bridge from Q4 2018 to Q4 2019. The decrease of 24 million can be explained by an increase in revenue of 138 million, decrease in gross margin of 134 million, and higher SG&E cost of 28 million. This bridge is taking IFS 16 impact into account.
networking capital increased 539 million compared to 2018, ending at a 13.3% of revenue, which is not satisfying. Inventories were largely unchanged compared to 2018, and the current level is roughly where we expect to be if we should support our expansion of our products and the service business. A very high activity level in the quarter led to increased trade receivables and VIP assets and only partly offsets by trade payables. Further, the increase can also be explained by lower other liabilities related mainly to lower incentive payments and lower VAT compared to last year. Reducing the networking capital is a key focus for the entire organization, and we do expect a lower level by the end of 2020. How much will depend on the service share uh, business as well as large capital orders and the associated prepayments from customers. The discontinued activities develop as expected in 2019. The cash outflow mainly relates to use provisions for settlement of a legacy project and redundancy costs paid in Q1 2019. Discontinued activities are not expected to generate any significant in or outflow in 2020. Our capital structure is well within our long-term targets, and we ended the year with an equity rate of 37.4% and a gearing of 1.2. The increase in net debt can be explained by the impact of IFS 16 of approximately 300 million kroner and the, IMP or the, and the acquisition of IMP Automation Group of also approximately 300 million. We do expect the gearing to decline in 2020. And then I would give the word back to you, Thomas. Thank you very much, Naya. So, then from here, looking forward, we have a good progress in service. We have an increased cash flow. We have a business improvement based or in that way that we increase profitability throughout the year uh, 2020. And especially then if you look into 2021. And we see vast opportunities in cement as well as in mining on sustainable solutions where we are well positioned in both industries. We had a reduced capital order backlog in cement and our margin in the mining capital business was really not on the level where it should be. If we then look into the management focus, it's about customers, cost and cash. For 2020, the order intake the profit improvement, and very important, the cash generation, of course, with the reduction of networking capital, but not only is absolute high focus and definitely a step change in the company. Long term, the focus on customers with our reorg by getting the orders, what we announced last week, is very positive in an area where we were in the past, in the history of our company, in mining, not that successful. We have a very good setup on the sustainability with our mission zero to help the industry towards nil emissions in the next 10 years in cement as well as in mining. And that is a lot demanded, not only on media and in social networks, really in the industry. Both industries in that respect changed quite dramatic in the last 12 to 18 months. 
Innovation and digitalization is a driver for that. And it will help us, it will help our customers, it will help each and everyone dealing with it to realize that sustainability target and maybe more. As we saw with the underperformance and profitability last year in the mining part, our standardization and modularization program is very important and will get enforced. If we then look into the cash, you see on the left side our cash generation since 2007. And we can say that we had between 14 and 17, despite the mining downturn, quite a good cash conversion. 18 was not good at all, as we had it with the discontinued business. And 19 was definitely an improvement in the right direction, but we expect more. What does it mean? A company like us has to be better in cash conversion and delivering cash. Not only from a financial point of view, it's a fantastic insurance towards our suppliers, towards our customers and towards our shareholders that we manage the business in an optimum good way. There is a lot to go, what we can do as a step change. One element is definitely to get the timing from invoicing or from forecasting actually to collecting the money shortened. And we work on step changes to do that. The networking capital in itself, when you look into uh, the complete setup of the networking capital, you will see that our inventory is more or less the same as it was a year before. We believe that with the relatively low inventory level versus sales in comparison to the peers, that we are on a level where we can generate more service business, but there is no intention to lower that more. But if it comes to the other lines, improvement potential is quite obvious. So the strong commitment is actually a big thing for us and will be definitely heavily supported by the onboarding of the new CFO in a foreseeable time. Then I talked a lot about sustainability when you offer that into the industries, into the societies where you act in, of course, you have to look into your own house, how you perform. And there on the left upper side, you see that we had the 1.6 TR IFR in the year 2019, which is a fantastic improvement from the year before and a fantastic level in the whole industry. That is super performance of my organization. I'm very proud of that. I'm very happy with it. And it shows that despite headwind internally and in the business, our organization can perform quite well. Another thing what I would like to highlight is that our carbon, relative carbon footprint measured in tons per million DKK revenue dropped from 3.4 to 2.2. A milestone event for us, for our customers, for our suppliers, was in November when we launched the Mission Zero, where we get a lot of interaction outside the industry too, and helping us to find the partners for the technologies, what we don't have in-house to give cement as well as mining, the big step change in sustainability. We committed to four out of the 17 goals, because we know here we have the biggest impact and that is where we will put all our efforts in it. 
One part of that is digitalization. Digitalization will enable us with the innovation, and we see digitalization and innovation gets more and more one thing. Here we have a proof of it. It's actually an app where the app in itself monitors and gives the operator a possibility to look into and to improve performance on productivity, not only on a product or on, on one entity, actually on the whole process. The side connect to connect digital all the process into one and with that influencing online the productivity is a fantastic move in the right direction to enable customers to get their cash cost down. So the year 2019 was with the highest revenue in six years. We had a higher service order intake. Our capital orders went uh, down, which means we had a lower capital order level, especially the second half was not satisfying in it. We had an increased cash flow and definitely a shift in a stronger focus on cash for the future. We had a higher EBITDA, but a lower, not satisfying margin. And our guidance is 18.5 to 20.5 billion DKK on revenue and EBITDA 8 to 9%. And that gives a um, target area for the return on capital employed of 9 to 12%. And with that, I think we could start with the Q&A. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press zero 01 on your telephone keypad now to join the queue. If you find your question is answered before it's your turn to speak, you can dial zero 02 to cancel. So once again, that's zero 01 to ask a question or zero 02 if you need to cancel. Our first question comes from the line of Lars Chopin of uh, Carnegie. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, yes, congrats with uh, a good quarter. I, I have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one goes on the networking capital, uh, where you see an improvement in 2020. Can you be a little bit more specific on what you intend to do to deliver that improvement and what constituents are relevant? And then a related question on your slide 18 you are showing your cash conversion, but excluding changes in networking capital. Uh, I just wonder why you look at cash conversion excluding networking capital changes. That doesn't make make sense to me, to be honest. Then on the order intake, you uh, won two large orders from uh, Russia here last week. Uh, I'm just curious what, what happens since you certainly begin to win these big Russian projects. Uh, because it's been a while uh, since you had any of those. And then finally, on uh, your guidance, uh, 8 to 9% EBITDA margin, uh, what uh, decides whether you come out in the high or low end of that range? Is it mainly a question of where you end in the revenue range or are there other drivers? Thanks. Thank you, Lars. Um, so let me start with the two orders what we got um, yeah, the, um, uh, when you look into the, these large orders and what we announced, it is clear that they were quite a long time in the pipeline and was clear that, um, yeah, for a while that these orders would come in one way or the other. The only thing was, of course, the timing. We hoped for to have it in the second half of 2019, so it slipped over into 2020. 
Um, if it is a sign that larger orders are now starting all over the world, we don't see that. We have um, a high volatile market. Uh, the China situation is not helping in that. We see overall when we talk worldwide with our clients, um, the customer hesitation on capital, uh, on capex spend, on large capex spend is still there. On the positive note is the demand to do something is there too. So we are actually quite far in a lot of these um, projects, but we need the last step to go for that we can book it as order intake. Then I look into what you said regarding the guidance, the 8 to 9% to come to the higher end of the range is actually more that all the business improvement comes timely in. Second, that we have a good mix between service and um, capital revenue. And of course, um, it gets more tricky to come to that range as more end loaded the year is with the revenue. If we get more revenue um, uh, into the, the, the first three quarters and not so much then in the fourth quarter, that helps, of course, on the profitability too. Now to the networking capital. Um, Naya? So, so you were asking about where do we expect to see the networking capital Im improvements. And the networking capital improvements in, in 2020 are expected to come from the invoicing process and the whole collection process. So you can say trade receivables and VIP assets and, and VIP uh, liabilities. So the invoicing process is, to, is actually impacting both capital and the service uh, business. And the same goes also for the collection process. So both of them is, is very high focus for the entire organization. Then on the what you said regarding just to follow up question on that are there any milestones we should look out for in you know maybe after Q1 to to sort of see you on on, on the right track here more in the second half of the year I would more look into the second half of the year we already took in the last few weeks some correcting actions and activities but experience shows if it comes to the networking capital. Uh, it takes a little bit longer. It's not directly the next day. And generally, our networking capital is gets, um, how to say, a negative head start in here. So it's easier to see in the second half of the year. Then to your question regarding uh, the cash trend, what we had. Actually, the bars are not, um, the bars are normalized or the right level. Only the normalized dotted line is actually excluding that. So it's not uh, the single bars are actually right, as you rightly mentioned out. Yeah, so but the for trend, the normalized... The trend line, right? Exactly. Yeah. The trend line was actually um, uh, did, uh, was built up like that, as you described it, by purpose, by the way. <laughs> Thank you very clear. Thanks for answering my questions. It's a lot, Lars. Thank you. Our next question... Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Christian Johansson of Danske Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. So first uh, question is on this, this last Russian order, which you announced on, on Friday. Um, first of all, considering that you have AVB as a sub-supplier on a, a decent part of this contract, is it fair to assume that the margin of the project is sort of below average? And secondly, what is the permitting risk or licensing risk uh, around this project? Is, is that all done or is there any uh, risk ahead of us? 
thank you, Christian. At first, um, you can imagine that I can't give any real details to a single contract. We are not doing that. Uh, in general, of course, if you are with a bigger package of a, another supplier in, it always has a has a um, it always lowers the the profitability what you calculate if you only versus only own equipment in it. Second, um, if it comes to the risk uh, the, to lose the license to operate, we have significant regional geographical differences in that risk. We see the risk to lose the license uh, to operate and having pressure on it, especially in the Americas. And if it comes to the eastern part, uh, in the east of Europe, in Russia and so on, we see that risk actually worldwide as the lowest. So we, what we see and what we can say is we don't calculate any risk for the license to lose the license to operate on these two deals. Okay, that, so that's quite clear. Um, and then my last question is just, uh, will there have been any cancellations in the backlog in the fourth quarter? No, no, there was no cancellation in the fourth quarter. Excellent. That was all for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Magnus Gruber at UBS. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, Magnus here. A couple of ones from me. Uh, could you give us some help on what the adverse impact in the quarter was from lower margin mining projects? I think you previously communicated a 30 million run rate. So where did we end up compared to the baseline? Yeah, we, uh, uh, you can, as we said, the 30 million you definitely can calculate in. Then, of course, we have a product mix effect in, uh, in the quarter. And um, out of that, uh, we had a 40, on, on top of it, a 40 million business improvement cost impact, which was largely in the mining, more or less all in the mining part. Perfect. That's, that's very clear. Um, uh, so, secondly, you have previously suggested an improving margin and backlog quality in the cement business. Is, is this still true in Q4? I didn't understand the, the question again. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. So you previously communicated that the margin uh, in in your cement backlog has been up year over year, at least up until Q3. Is that still true in, in Q4? The margin quality is, is up year margin, over year. Yes, the margin quality is uh, improved. I have to give a lot of credit to my cement organization throughout the world. Because uh, it is difficult, we, we should not forget that. Uh, we had in the third quarter in, uh, and in the second half of 18 a too low margin. And then uh, the management teams and our strategic people then decided to go more selective for capital orders. We did that. And of course, in a time where actually the uh, amount of capital orders, larger capital orders, is very subdued. Of course, it makes it more difficult, but our organization did a very good job in improving the internal efficiency. That is good to see. And um, out of that, we can say that the, the profitability and that what we did in, uh, uh, and what we got in the fourth quarter is okay. Okay, so, so would you say that the, the, the gross margin in the cement backlog now in Q4 is higher than it was Q4 last year? I mean, like that, the, of course, I can't give you the figure anywhere, uh, the detail level, but um, it is a satisfying level what we have there. That is what I can say. 
a satisfying level. Okay, brilliant. Thanks. And, and just finally, uh, in terms of the 10% target for uh, where parts in, in, in mining, where, where, where do you stand by the end of the year? And where do you want to get to in, say, two, three uh, years' time? Yeah, we are over 10% as we promised to the market, but not only in mining. This, is a, this was a group effort to get for the wear parts over 10%, and we did that. And, and going forward, do you, do you still chase this business? Right. Uh, let's see how we get that. Um, we, don't, we didn't give any information more on the wear part split versus spare part split. And actually, the 10% to give that information was that, that we were really low a few years back, actually more or less nil. And now we are definitely double digit in that and we grow, but we are not giving more information or guiding or so how much the percentage is. Important to, to state on that is when we talk about wear parts is what we call intelligent wear parts. We put processors on it. We digitalize it. We try to give um, an added productivity improvement value. Otherwise, as a newcomer and uh, in, in that sector, we would have a problem from a pricing point of view, and we don't. We don't. So that actually works out. At the same time, it clearly shows we are not running for any volume. It, it has to be a good, sustainable, profitable growth in the wear part segment. And we actually invest quite a lot into R&D innovation to have more wear products available in cement as well as in mining. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Klaus Edmar of Nordea. Please go ahead, Kjell. Thank you. Yeah, also a few questions from my side. Uh, the first question goes to your business improvement initiatives. Um, this is impacting 500 employees. I would have thought that the EBIT impact uh, would be larger than 100 million. Uh, is there also a impact in 2021, or how should we think about this? That would be the first question. Yes, and actually, Klaus, very good question. You actually hit exactly the thing. It is more complex what we do because the low-hanging fruits we already did years back. This is this is more complex, so it takes more time. And with that, the, uh, the EBITDA improvement, the profit improvement, is actually more towards 2021. And we try to say that um, that we have a 25 million run rate at the beginning of the year and a 100 million run rate at the end of the year. Okay, and then as you mentioned in Q4, 19, that was mainly uh, impacting uh, the mining uh, division. Is that also how you think about this year, that most of these uh, effects will come in mining, both one-off cost and the positive EBIT impact? Actually, it's a lot what we do then this year for both industries and group. Don't forget, don't forget group. So it's largely in line with, as you will see, the revenue. We had to okay. start in mining because with the, with the profit uh, warning uh, out of uh, the mining capital business, of course, that was the highest uh, attention what we had. And that created, of course, the by far biggest part in the mining um, sector regarding the business improvement cost in quarter four. Okay. Then my, my second question, this goes back to the, the backlog which you mentioned several times during the presentation. 
And I know you you got these uh, Russian orders, but but backlog is down in both divisions, and yes, Q1 will help. Uh, but when should we be starting to be concerned about the, the backlog uh, trends? Uh, when do you really need to to see an uptick in capital orders to be able to let's just say repeat the 2020 uh, revenue uh, level? Yeah, the, we will, as we guide uh, only in a, pos- in a positive environment, repeat close to the uh, 2019 level in revenue because we delivered a 20.6 and the high point of the guidance is 20.5. Um, concerned, yeah, uh, it's not about being concerned. It's about what we are doing out of it. If the industry would go on unlimited with hesitation on larger capital orders, of course, our share in aftermarket purely mathematically will increase. We see still quite good opportunities in smaller products and upgrades, what we should not forget. And then, of course, um, the volume would shrink. We would then take uh, actions to align the organization to the new situation, as we would do if we see now a catch-up effect on large, uh, large projects, and we get quite a lot in short time. So we are in both directions not concerned. So that it's not looking nice in the second half of 19 with the capital orders. I have to say that was um, with that sit and wait and customer hesitation, what everyone now in the industry is saying, not only us, as we had it in quarter two. Um, we, will, we have to see and to wait until that is over. But we are in permanent contact in cement as well as in mining with the customers to see how far they are. But is that, you know, after summer, we, then we really need to see things uh, improving or there's always a lead time between signing orders until, uh, you know, the revenue uh, will, will start to kick in? Yeah. Uh, the, the only thing, it's difficult to say. Or uh, What I can tell you is if we see that we are getting not enough large orders, you will see our cost base coming down and more announcements as we had it at the beginning of the year. If you see that we get more, then, of course, we will adjust accordingly. So from that point of view, it is tricky to predict why. We have a clear view what is in the pipeline. We don't see a change in the pipeline, not in cement, not in mining. We know, especially in mining, the ones, our peers or us, who have the engineering orders that you most likely get the big capital order. What we all can't see, and that is what we understand in the market environment from our peers, what we can't see which day it is. If you would have been asking me three months ago, when are the two orders or two orders in Russia coming, I would tell you maybe next week, maybe in three months. So that is the uncertainty what we have in, and we built that in the revenue guidance a little bit in. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Samir. I know this was the impossible question to 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 answer, but thanks so much. But but you are, you know, your question is fully understood and fully accepted. And of course, we have a lot of intelligence out to call it like that, to look when things are coming in, how we can help customers to make a decision here and there, and trying to find the best spot. For us, it's very important that the sub supply is available. What it is. For us, it's important that we have the right force there 
And there we messed up a little in mining last year to make that fairly outspoken and clear based on the profit warning, what happened before. And that is what we regulated and are regulating. So from that point of view, we are prepared. We are prepared in the positive direction. We are prepared in the negative direction. But I can't say where, where the direction then will be at the end of 2020 yet. That's uh, difficult. Okay, thank you so much, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Martin Docker at Renko. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my questions. Uh, my first one is about your guidance uh, of on H2-weighted revenues. Could you maybe talk a little bit about H1, H2 weighting, which you expect in your base case, and what are the primary moving parts which could help you accelerate revenue? Yes. The um, When you look, it's a little bit unique for us, um, and not really meant as a surprise to you, to guide on an 18.5 to a 20 and a half. But we have a com we have actually a combination of macroeconomics, uncertainty where it's at the moment difficult to calculate that in, um, and I will come to that. Uh, of course, it's China and trade war, and then of course in the industry, which means especially in mining, um, this sit and wait, the customer hesitation. Let me start with the thing what we see with China. Um, we started to uh, assemble in our assembly center last Monday. So we are full, full on track on, on that. We do that. But the question is, of course, what is the China growth? China makes 30% roughly of the uh, copper um, utilization. And that is what we have to look into. Uh, why do we have then not only the upside in? Why do we have an, uh, uh, the downside in? Why do we have an upside in? We know out of um, in the last 20, 30 years, if things were negative and quite negative around the world, and then it was sorted out very positive and quick, it can create a tailwind situation. And that is what we calculated into. Um, then we look into the mining industry with the sit and wait. Um, we understand, of course, that there is hesitation to, to give the capex, but on the other side, we see the increase in cost base. And any time if the cost base, the cash cost, comes too close to the commodity price level, that's very uncomfortable situation for a, a mine site. And we, we hear out of the customers that they really look into that to avoid. And in some cases, it is simply not possible any longer to pump in aftermarket and upgrades. You have really to replace, you have to make a brownfield. So that explains actually the, the range. And that gives actually the answer to how to end up on the high end. Because if we get the tailwind, or more tailwind than negative out of the China thing, trade war and so on doesn't have a big impact, and the customer hesitation, which anytime has to slow down or coming to an end, then um, it can, with the book, the bill, actually create, with the upgrades and the uh, capital order, single capital orders, quite a good momentum up to 20 and a half. But the same goes, of course, to the south. That means um, if uh, that all doesn't happen, then we get pressure on the towards the low point of the revenue guidance. Uh, thank you. My question actually was, what's the H1, H2 weighting, which you expect? Is it um, not dissimilar to last year where 47% of revenue was an H1? And um, given the revenue phase, shall we expect margin improvement also to be H2 weighted? 
Sorry, I thought you talked 19. The, um, what you will see in our, in our business is, of course, uh, a slower start in the year. That is clear. Then a stronger quarter two. Then a weaker than quarter two, quarter three. Um, I can go very much into detail. It has to do coming out of the vacation time and the big part and before the vacation time to get things done. And then, of course, we have always the year-end rally, which is quite traumatic. And uh, I said it maybe before, uh, what people underestimate in the fourth quarter, what we have to do, the big part of the fourth quarter happens in December and not to underestimate what happens in the second half. So we expect that partly looking like a hockey stick again in the revenue recognition. And that is based on customer, not on us. We try really a lot to have it earlier. Thank you. My second question is about EBIT bridge, about the moving parts of the EBIT bridge for next for 2020. Uh, firstly, on uh, cost savings, um, I appreciate you provide the run rates, but what's the expected P&L impact for 2020? You previously have been guiding to 25 million millions. It now sounds like it's a bit more than that. And then also, if you can elaborate a bit more on what you expect for mixed, or what you, what's your base assumption for mixed in your in your uh, in your margin guidance? Because last year you were saying that in 2019 mix was a hundred million uh, headwind. Is this? Do you basically assume all of this reversing in 2020? Yeah. The let me start at first with the. Um uh, how we see that impact on the on the EBITDA the, um, with the business improvement. Um, actually, the what we see in the in the whole EBITDA setup for next year is a combination out of uh, profit improvement and cost for profit improvement, and there we see of a more a balanced view on the year. Then, of course, we we don't want to have a repeat of the uh, the lower cost effect. Um, this year, as we had it last year, but at the same time, we still have three quarters, what we announced actually, actually fourth when we announced it, of roughly 30 million per quarter in the mining capital business as a downside. On the positive note, then, of course, we, we think that with the, or we know, with that what we do with the workforce adjustment, that we have a lower uh, cost level um, in the company, as well as... Um, we have a significant improved service share versus capital than we had in 19. And in that case, basically, basically on the lack of larger orders in the second half of 19. Because the two large orders, what we announced last week, only the smaller one has a slight positive revenue impact in the quarter four. The, the big one that is over milestone and then actually the effect comes more in 21, 22 in that range. So that explains um, uh, the EBITDA bridge. Top of it, of course, it's clear um, when uh, with improved uh, modularization and improved supply chain, um, it depends a little bit on that what we get booked to bill from the equipment and so on with then an improved cost level when we purchase. That plays uh, quite a big part into it too. So that all together gives the range between the 8 and the 9%. Okay, thank you. And my last question is about services. Obviously, your service business includes uh, maybe more lumpy parts like modernizations, maintenance, etc. And given the very strong growth in 2019, how tough um, is the comp in your view for 2020 in services orders? 
Yes, the, uh, it is true. That's a really good question. It is true. We have, of course, a big demand, uh, more and more, not only wear and spare parts as single pieces. We have more and more the demand to go in and to upgrade, to make maintenance, to actually help to manage and to educate people on, on sites. Um, as more as it is kind of management and maintenance, as tougher the competition gets. Because uh, when, when peers look into and making a cost plus approach, I guarantee you this is then never ever a profitable business. It has to be over offering solutions, over offering uh, added value and not cheaper cost as if the miners or the cement colleagues would recruit own employees. Then you will not make a good bottom line. So, and we are faced with that. So as more as we go into that maintenance and service business, as more headwind we have on the pricing. As more we can go into solution and offering added value and performance and value add, as less the headwind is on the pricing. In general, what we can say between cement and mining, cement still has a lot of headwind in the uh, a lot of headwind in the profitability or in the in the pricing, not in the profitability, in the pricing because there is not a lot of large orders out. There's a lot of disruption in peers and in the industry in some areas. When we have in mining an ongoing same or normal, I would say normal, I know my salespeople will not like that, but more normal pricing pressure in the market uh, versus a non-deteriorating but non-improving high pricing pressure in the cement part. Thank you. Actually, if I may, a quick follow-up on mining capital business for next year. At current order book, is there any scenario where capital revenues can be sustained at flat level in 2020? Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Klaus Kiel at Nucaretz. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, hello. Uh, two questions from uh, my side. Um, first of all, um, yeah, uh, we all know that uh, this uh, coronavirus is uh, is hurting uh, China these days. But uh, but could you talk about what kind of impact you are seeing on the service business uh, here over the last uh, couple of of weeks? Uh, and, and I know it's early days, but just your yeah your observations so far. Um, and then. A question related to the big uh, Russian order. You said that uh, you don't see any risk to uh, or any license to operate risk related to this this order. Um, but if you look at other parameters like technology, country risk, client, etc., would you then characterize this order as a high risk order or a low risk order? That would be my two questions. Good. Of course, it's a customer of us. This is low risk. Um... And uh, we, it's uh, very professional companies we deal with. It's very enjoyable to work with them. I have to say that um, as a mining engineer, especially as a mineral processing engineer, I have to say this is fun. This is really good, um, professional throughout the whole line. So if it comes to uh, that point, all, all good. If it then comes to what you would call political risk, I hope we all understand that... Um, uh, Russia is significantly more stable than a lot of other countries. And, uh, yeah, I'm not the Russian ambassador, but uh, go to Russia, get your own picture on Russia, t 
talk how friendly, look how friendly the people are, how open-minded they are. It's very enjoyable to be there and to work there. Um, the, then I come to the corona part um, and the service impact. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, at first it's a very sad thing. To make that fairly clear, I don't think... Uh, I worked a lot in my career in China and with Chinese. I'm, I enjoy to have quite a lot of Chinese friends. And this impact of this virus is traumatic as you can't imagine. This uh, is really traumatic. So this is very sad. The question out of it is, of course, the impact on the global economy. If China only grows 2 to 3%, that will have an impact. The question is how long they will allow that it's only 2 to 3%, and then with stimulus bringing it up, which then could actually end in a fantastic tailwind in the second half of the year or already in the second quarter. Um, if the impact to the service business, um, in our business normally, we only had one exception uh, once, with service orders in the first and second quarter. Normally, the start of the year in service is slower. Why? Because there's a lot of work, a lot of delivery and so on, which happens in the, th uh, in the fourth quarter. So the year starts normally a little bit slower. We can't say what the impact from the coronavirus is uh, in that because that's too early. The, um, the Chinese New Year in itself has a big impact and that repeats each, each year. So the whole thing... This one-week Chinese New Year was extended by another week. We already started to produce again. We, we can travel in, the, in China or my people can travel in China in a safe way and we did everything to make that uh, possible. So it's a little bit too early to give a, give a thing. Fact is we will have a slow start of the year as we have it uh, more or less each year, actually as each year in that business. In a few weeks, we can say more. It's a little bit too early. We are in the mid what happens now, if it goes worse or better. And that's very difficult for us to judge. Okay, and then just a, a quick follow-up, um, uh, again, related to the Russian orders, um, uh, or the Russian order. Uh, you didn't uh, touch upon uh, the technology uh, uh, side. Yes. Would that be kind of a plain vanilla order or... <laughs> no, it is, of course, um, uh, both orders are out of the core competence from us. Grinding, uh, we are so good in that. Of course, others are good too, not to, to play it here wrong, but we are really great in that. We build these kind of installations quite a lot, and they have fantastic performance, and we have a lot of support from customers who have it already for a very long period of time, making a lot of advertising for us. Then if it comes to the gold plant, look into our portfolio, what we had. We acquired uh, AU Tech uh, roughly a year ago in, um, uh, as an additional uh, gold technology. We are quite advanced in gold. Gold is a very important, very, very important uh, commodity for us, but it's in the size as an industry not that big, so you don't see it that much always in our figures. But it has a lot of elements in it, what we supply into other Uh, processes with other commodities. So we have a strong position there. Both customers ask for top um, technology, state-of-the-art technology. We could prove that. We could show similar sites in the world in several cases. So that all um, is an advanced technology, well-known and several times built by us. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much.
Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Michael Peterson of SCB. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thank you for taking my question. I have a question regarding uh, the capital orders decline in 2019, decline of around 13, 30%. How much of this is due to selectivity? Uh, you mentioned it a couple of times that you're being more selective when choosing projects. Uh, I'm just trying to get a um, feel of how much of the 30% is related to that, or if it's just like a general market trend. Yeah. The selective, um, you refer, of course, to the salmon part. Um, the, you are completely right. We are more selective with the orders. We have um, uh, what we see in the market. Let me bring it like that. What we see in the market is that um, the amount of new CapEx orders, complete lines, is very, very low throughout the premium as well as the mid-market part where we uh, no, don't bid the complete plant into it. We had uh, a big, uh, big orders out of Central America. Of course, that gave quite a big backlog, but in reality, these were two orders, one, one two orders, which created that big effect. Um, so we are not losing market share. We are not gaining market share. It's simply a subdued situation in large capital capex spend in the cement industry worldwide. More important for us is what do we see ahead of us? What we see ahead of us is that actually the pipeline doesn't change. It only gets from a timing point moved. What is the reason? Uncertainty there. The virus, I have to say, has some impact in Asia. It puts uh, the foot on the brake. The hesitation comes. A little bit scared. What happens next and so on? That immediately has an impact on salmon customers, which are normally uh, operating local. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the run for getting a CO2 footprint, which enables them not to have a high risk on CO2 tax and or to deliver green, uh, green cement. So that all plays into it. Um, it is, from a financial point of view, not nice to see. From a business customer relation point of view, we are actually quite good positioned. And the 11% the growth of order intake in service in cement in the fourth quarter is a good proof. We should not forget one thing. F.H. Schmidt, we had before in our service portfolio in the aftermarket the big O&M contracts. And we took a lot of them out because of non-manageable risk, not out of our customer or technology or us, more to political risk in the areas where we work. We decreased that dramatically, and now we are back and more than before, which is fantastic. Good performance. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then my last question is, um, since in cement you have, uh, just as the, the last question, less growth, uh, could M&A be an option at all for you to, to gain uh, some operational leverage in order to have like a higher uh, order intake uh, from that perspective, from acquired growth, or what is your current view on M&A within the cement business? Um, at first, uh, operating leverage. I think we, we had the lowest ratio, SG&A versus revenue, of course, driven by a high, um, that what everyone would say, of course, he has more than 6 billion DKK revenue in the quarter. But look into the cost level. We had more or less the same cost level in 19 as we had in 18 with a 10% growth in revenue plus all the business improvement initiatives. Not, I think the organization is actually very 
uh, operating leverage related, which is necessary in our business model, absolutely necessary in our business model. Um, if it comes to M&A, we, I, I always repeat that. The f with the money what we have, the first thing what we have to be, we have to be properly capitalized. We are. We have to pay proper dividends and we propose a 53% payout ratio, which is slightly above the max payout ratio what we have with the proposed eight kroner. So we do. We invest significantly in organic growth. We, we did that, we do that, and we will go on to do that. And of course, we look into M&A. We did three acquisitions in the last two years, roughly, um, in different areas. And of course, we look into M&A. But it has to deliver shareholder return. This is very important. This is really important. We have a lot of competence in-house. We can do a lot on our own. And we know that organic growth actually is the more profitable growth. But of course, we look into that as we proved in the three cases, what, uh, what we named uh, mining systems, uh, AUTEC and IMP automation and so on. But shareholder return is very important in M&A. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Andrew Wilson at JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for, for taking my questions. I'll be relatively quick given the, the time. Um, Thomas, in terms of the guidance, it feels as if whether it's kind of internally or uh, sort of market expectations, it feels that um, the guidance is pretty consistent with kind of the thinking at the capital markets there. I mean, is that a fair way to think about it in that not a lot has changed in terms of your planning for, for 2020 versus what you said at the capital markets there? Hey, Andrew, you know us really well. Yeah, of course, it is a kind in line with that what we had of the, on the capital market. Let me say like that, if there would be less macroeconomical uh, situation, um, you could expect that the guidance on revenue would be more narrowed. That is, that is what, we, what we clearly can say. We have to take that into account, um, the volatility from macroeconomics like the China thing and so on. And um, that um, uh, widened the, the range uh, in a time where we have a higher service share, what actually makes it easier to predict uh, what we will have in revenue than versus big, big, lumpy revenue comes in from big orders. We didn't have that um, in, the, in the right timing last year. So out of that, um, we, we, we have a guidance with the 18 and a half to 20 and a half, reflecting macroeconomics a little bit more than we had it on the capital market day. That's helpful. And maybe if we can just pick up on one specific comment within the guidance from the release. Just so you, you talk about service being, um, or service demand being flat. Um, is that a comment on the market on, or a comment on kind of what you'd expect from the business? Because clearly service is an area where uh, you've broadened the product range and you've clearly been doing well if we look at the growth rates. I'm just a little bit surprised that that feels a very conservative sort of expectation to service. No, we are we are not saying it, it, it is flat. What we say is actually we will have a higher service share, but of course a big part of that is simply of the lack of capital uh, revenue. But we had uh, quite a good order intake in the last two years and our revenue definitely dives under that and we know that it will come into revenue. So from that point of view, um, we are not uh, saying flat. The second thing is um, the we have a good service momentum out in both industries. 
Good doesn't mean double-digit, 20%, 30%, definitely not. But we have a good momentum and we carry that on. We had at the beginning of last year a weakness. The, fir the first half of year was not as good as we wanted to have it. That makes sense. That's helpful. And, and then just a final, and this is a slightly broader one, but it, it, you mentioned earlier on the call, the, the CO2 um, sort of decarbonisation angle within cement, I know you've talked about that before, and not pretending to, to be an expert, but you just talk a little bit about the, the competitive position there, because that feels like that can be a very significant opportunity if you've got the right product. I mean, how does this sort of, how do you see your offering comparing, I guess, to, to competitors? Yes, the, the, actually we don't compare to, the com, uh, com, com, to peers. Um, that's, uh, it's very important because every peer has it, its niche and so on, but you have to see CO2 improvement is not one unit or one service or one line. It is a combination of the whole process from the pit to the packed cement. Everything has to be in. And we have in the industry the most full-lined offering. We have a good setup in digitalization. And we run for more, I have to say it like that, for more than 100 years to offer to our clients less energy costs, less dust, and all these less things, which at the end of the day actually have a huge impact on the CO2. We said on the capital market day, if all the technology, what we already provide today, would get implemented, we strongly believe we could reduce the CO2 emission of the whole cement industry, which is 8% of the total in the world, down to 6.5%, 7%, which is like reducing Germany's um, CO2 emission by one-third. And we strongly believe, we are not here to, um, uh, to say this is a moral thing or an ethical thing. The key for a better sustainable future is, again, technology. And we have a lot of technology. Others have a lot of technology too, to be honest, and which is fair and good. Competition always helps or peer group helps. But we are the most full-lined in the complete process. You can get from us any type of cement in any quality on all the products, all the services, all the automation and digitalization. And you need that combination to offer that CO2 improvement. Otherwise... It, what you improve here goes away on another place, what you don't see. And that is the good uh, competitive uh, position what we have. This integrated model with projects, processes, products and services. That's actually the, the whole story behind. And we get a lot of credit and a lot of questions from customers on it. And you saw actually, um, was it not yesterday, where we had the Vietnam uh, VSIM announcement on sustainability. We have a lot of demand in that. We, we can't work with each and everyone, so we work with uh, advanced companies in it. We have a good footprint in it. And we agree. This is a technology thing, and it will lead for the premium suppliers, I'm extending that a little bit, to the premium suppliers, definitely more business than we saw than when the mid-market range came on board 15, 20 years ago. That's great. Thanks, Boris. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Tommy Verdulo of DMD. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yes, this is Tommy uh, from DMB. Thank you. Uh, some of my questions have been answered. But uh, just uh, 
in terms of the uh, large Russian order and the, uh, the personal cuts, uh, is it fair to assume that you were expecting this deal to, uh, to come? Uh, or, so to say, if, if it hadn't uh, been received, you would be uh, in need to cut, cut even, even, even more personnel? Um, at first, the at, I guess it's uh, I know it's in the peer group the same. Uh, normally, these um, projects go over an engineering order before, and a lot of technology discussions. And then uh, customers would like to have more this or that technology. That gives, of course, an indication. Then, of course, the intensity of discussing uh, which kind of realization you have then on the side. Uh, it is definitely too much to say we, we knew we will get the order. That is not true. We had to, to offer our added value as everyone in that peer group will try it and would try it on such a, such a business. Um, what was the second part of the question? The, ah, if we would not get it to cut further. Um, you know, the, um, Important for us is that we look into the absorption and as early as we can adjust our workforce up, mainly up actually in the last few years, then down in that, in that range, um, as better it is because as less you have to take uh, cuttings into uh, account. We had an issue last year, so we are in mining, of course, on, on high alert if we are doing that the team does the right things and so on, and we believe and we see they do. So if we would have a traumatic capital order drop, what we don't see, but if that comes, be assured we will take the necessary actions early enough. And uh, still on the guidance, uh, uh, backlog is down 12%, uh, uh, but in the midpoint, uh, you guide sort of 6% uh, revenue growth. Uh, is that a reflection of uh, continued uh, service growth, or uh, are you expecting also sort of in and out uh, activity in the beginning of the year in, uh, in mining, perhaps uh, especially to, to improve? If you can share a little bit of light, how has the year started? Uh, uh, not not in, in terms of the big orders, but uh, but generally uh, in in activity levels. I take that with how the year started, and Naya, you can uh, with the conversion and so on. The year started as all the years before slow. That is what we have, and uh, that's normal for us. Um, but if it comes to uh, the backlog and conversion. You can say, we, as we also uh, presented in the annual report, the, the backlog conversion is, is expected to be around 73% in, uh, in 2020. And you can say, if you take the same book to bill as we had in, in 2019, we would end in, in the midpoint of, of, of the guidance. Uh, and, and then I can share, of course, the service backlog is higher end of 19 than it was end of 18. Thank you very much. And uh, maybe just uh, lastly, anything you can uh, say about service pricing environment? Uh, and uh, can you give a comment if service profitability uh, overall improved uh, in 2019? Yeah, we are, the, the profitability of uh, service, of course, depends on the mix too. The technical service normally is lower in profitability than spare parts. So it's all about the mix um, in that. So it's roughly flattish um, if it comes to that. And then uh, the pricing situation, um, if you come in with, with spare parts where you are as we are, 
a more low volume supplier of equipment and processes. Of course, um, the, the, the pricing headwind is lower versus wear parts where the pricing headwind is higher and bigger based on the contribution of so-called non-branded um, or non-OEM uh, suppliers in it. And of course, if it comes to technical service, if um, the market requests a labor cost plus approach, that is not really good business to make it like that. You have to add with your service quite a lot of value and getting that through to the customer that they see that. Otherwise, it's really uh, heavy headwind on the on the pricing front for that uh, standard regular service. Uh, if I compare the timing, we don't see an increased pricing headwind in mining service uh, in uh, today as we had it a year or two years ago. That's the same. Thank you. Thank you. And the next question comes from the line of Robert Davies at Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, hi, thanks, uh, Thomas, for taking my question. Um, one I had was just around this, um, coming back to the service business. In terms of uh, customer behavior around there, are you seeing any impact um, from, I guess, the sort of delays you've seen on the OE side to the back half of, uh, of 19, particularly sort of feeding through and, and providing any pressure on the aftermarket business? Is, is there a tendency over time for uh, customers to try and sort of stretch the useful lives of some of these bits of kit more than they did uh, sort of four or five years ago? That was my first question. Yes, um, a very good question in that the um, it's actually not so much the customers trying to utilize it longer. It is more that uh, the suppliers are doing it by offering intelligent aftermarket solutions. When we go in and uh, offer composite mill liners and having a digital system on the mill, then, of course, the idea behind is that the mill liners not, are not only grinding better with a better result, they are lasting better. And especially if a failure comes that immediately gets analyzed or better seen before it happens, and that protects all the other milliners. So that, that is a typical thing. Um, we were on the capital market day quite outspoken. We said that digitalization in the long term or longer term will take away 20% of the market, the, the total market what you can supply, because the lifetime of the equipment and with that, of course, the aftermarket is extended. But for the premium suppliers, good in digital, good in sustainability, good in productivity improvement, it actually provides a bigger, a bigger opportunity to sell. So the, let us say, the, the very cost efficient, to call it like that, designed to cost suppliers will suffer more, significant more with digitalization than the premium ones who design to quality. And quality is not how you weld. Quality is which options, which intelligence you have on it. So from, from that point of view, um, yes, customers um, use, if it's intelligence uh, wear and spare parts and systems, use that longer, but that's intended by the supplier. Sorry, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think we lost your signal a little bit towards the end of that. Um, uh, the end of the question. I, I think I got the, uh, the the gist of what what you were saying at the start. Um, the, the second question I had just around, um, I guess, the margin range and, and our operational leverage at the business. Given that OE has been under such pressure for um, the back half of last year, how, how are you thinking about 
Um, a, obviously, you mentioned the mix is being better going into next year. What, what sort of risks to coming at the bottom end of the range do you see? Is it, is it mainly just sort of the lack of volumes coming through? Are you the sort of pressure from uh, from sort of sales is, is the main risk to the operational leverage? Because um, <clears throat> from a um, from a kind of mix perspective, you're obviously you, you should be quite beneficial given the, the way OE aftermarket dynamics have gone. And I guess in terms of top line growth, what, what, what sort of top line growth do you really need to see to um, to give yourself some operational leverage in the business in, in 2020? Where, where is the bite point in terms of the top line? There, at first, we, we, we guide, of course, because we see it, we guide on a lower revenue, and that costs us money. That uh, operating leverage will have an effect. Then, of course, we have uh, the mining profitability with that what we announced, the 30 million per quarter pressure, what we have for the first three quarters, which comes in then on the other side, the business improvement program. Against it is, of course, what the business improvement will deliver, but we know it's more towards the end of the year, no matter that we are quick in doing these things, but it's more complex and no low-hanging fruits. So the effect, the positive EBITDA effect will be more towards the end of the year. Then, um, of course, we have a positive effect with the, with the product mix, definitely, and we have a positive effect with lowering the cost base. So that's, uh, that gives us roughly the midpoint of the guidance. Why down to eight? Yeah, there is, of course, internally, if things would, what we are not liking, but it could happen that it drags out a little bit more to the end of the year. So that would have an effect, and we are sensitive on that. We saw that last year. Um, if we have a, a little bit less uh, EBITDA, then immediately it has an impact with the, the product mix on the EBITDA margin. Uh, but more important is actually to look into from a macroeconomic point of view. Um, I have to come back on China. Is China growing? If China is not growing and not making st uh, additional stimulus packages, which effect it can have on the mining industry and with that on us? And when you calculate that all in, you can theoretically come down to 8%. That's the, that's the thing. And we try to guide in a range... Um, what is uh, what we see as minimum or maximum possible. With us? Thank you, sir. My, my final question was just around um, the sort of big picture view on, on the sort of mining industry in general. Do you sort of um, buy the thesis that because of the sort of trade war uncertainty, lots of projects were sort of put on the back burner through the back half of last year and could come through this year? Well, I guess I'm, I'd be interested. I know, I know you sort of said you don't really have a huge amount of visibility on large project orders, but what are the customers telling you are the kind of main reasons for not pulling the trigger now and, and going ahead, given that there's been at least some progress on that front? Thank you. Um, if you sit in the chair of, uh, of a customer group towards us, uh, towards the, uh, the supply industry, not only towards F.H. Schmidt, uh, you have a good cash flow, um, you have deep leading org rates, uh, you have problems to get your investment through based on NGOs or requests from the government on sustainability, water utilization, and so on. And at the same time, you see your cost base coming up, your cash cost coming up, and the commodity prices are coming down. Look into nickel, which kind of roller coaster ride that had, uh, going up to 18,000, then dropping to 12,000 when everyone said, oh, it's uh, nickel, which will boom. It's nickel sulfide, by the way. But nevertheless, then you look into copper, now down to 5.7, if I calculate it in, a, in, in tonnage, and coming from actually a higher level a few weeks ago. So the volatility is quite there. And on the mine side, um, 
when you when you talk with the colleagues there, it's not only what their own cash cost versus the commodity prices and what their profit. They look where are they positioned versus all the other miners. And I can tell you, as more as you move right, which means you get higher in cost than the others, as more uncomfortable your board gets. So out of that, they look into what can I do to, to, to cover that up. And then they have all these projects ongoing, all the technology, what they can do. And digital helps premium suppliers a lot because we can already prove before we build it that we have quite an added value and a lowering of cash cost possible with the technology, what we would like to install. But then they have to go to the board and saying, give me now the money. And that is a little bit tricky in that uh, coronavirus, a trade war, um, how does it look and so on. There is, a, there is this hesitation in how is it with the sustainability, is that technology, can you prove it again and again and again. That is at the moment um, the ongoing activity what we see on the mining industry. And last thing we should never forget, on a brownfield we deliver roughly 40%, on a greenfield roughly 10%. So it's not only us. There is big infrastructure work. There's big work around the mine site. You have to have, if it's a new greenfield, you need a landing strip, you need a railway, and so on. There's a lot uh, around that, which is not uh, only the equipment what and services what we provide, that all builds up to that situation, what we call simple sit and wait. Officially, is it now the customer hesitation. So when, again, when, when do we see that going uh, better? Yeah, there we have to sit and wait until it really gets better, I have to say. Um, the willingness is there, but the final decision is not coming. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Good question, Robert. Good question. Thank you. And as there are no further questions at this time, I'll hand back to our speakers for the closing comments. And with that, I would like to thank Naya uh, being here with me on the stage and all the participants around the world. And wherever you are, safe trip. See you and speak to you soon. Goodbye.